Good morning. Today we begin our celebration of Advent. On these four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we will rejoice in the great gift that is ours in Jesus Christ. To help us celebrate, we will be lighting the candles of the Advent wreath. The candles signify that Jesus is the light of the world. The evergreens remind us that he is life and brings life to us. All these are arranged in a circle because life in Christ has no end. Each Sunday we will light an additional candle. On Christmas Eve, all the candles will be lit, including the center one, the Christ candle. As we do, we will rejoice that Christ has come to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. On this first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. Hope is our assurance that God will finish all he has started. Hope hope is our confidence that he will do all he has promised. Isaiah 9 says in part, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All the promise of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our hope, today and forever. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks, you guys. That was lovely. Guess what? It is December now. I know, right? Was it like July yesterday, though? That's how I feel. I don't know about you. Um, this is December, and doesn't it look beautiful in here? I love all the greenery, and I want you to know that I have been faithfully spraying this stuff with water every single day that I'm in here, even this morning. So, Well, Jemiah did it this morning, so that it would stay fresh as long as possible. And today, right after the service, we're going to decorate our Christmas tree. It is so nice to be getting ready for Christmas. How are you getting ready for Christmas? Maybe your tree is up. Is it? Some some nodding, some laughing. No, not even close. Okay. Um, but maybe you've got lights on outside, which I had to do this year because I just bought a house, and so I don't want to be the ugly house on the block that doesn't do it which is probably what would happen. Anyway, so I put up lights. That's nice. Maybe you've got special ornaments and decorations that you're bringing out. Maybe you're making cookies and squares so your house always smells delicious. Maybe you're shopping and wrapping presents or you're planning travel and getting ready for company to come. Maybe you're going out to lots of special parties. And then in addition to all those other things, Christians have some other special traditions that we do to get ready. Some people set out a nativity scene that uh, shows us all the characters of the Christmas story. Some people put up what's called a Jesse tree where you hang ornaments that trace God's work all the way from creation through to Christmas to show what he's been doing. 
Some people have an Advent calendar where they open a little door every day to mark the days. Some people have Advent wreaths and candles like this. In fact, I've been visiting people this week, and I've seen people setting out those birch logs to hold the Advent candles that we made uh, two years ago here. That was nice. Good for you for keeping those. Um, Advent is a special season. It's actually, it's the first official season in the church calendar. So the church calendar is like starting right now. And it covers the four weeks and four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Eve. And Advent literally means, the word means, the arrival of a notable person or event. And during Advent, we celebrate the imminent arrival of Jesus, the Son of God. And so for the next few weeks, we are going to look at some familiar stories, and we're going to hear about familiar characters, the same stories probably that some of you have been hearing since you were like two, three years old. We're going to pull them out, and in my mind, it feels like unwrapping these precious ornaments that we haven't seen for a year, but they've been passed down through the generations, and we're going to see what wisdom they have to lend to our lives this year. This morning we're going to talk about two pregnant women and a mute man. Sounds like the start of a bad joke, doesn't it? (laughs) Two pregnant women and a mute man walked into a bar. Um, (laughs) Right? That's what it reminded me of, but I thought it was still funny. Um, (laughs) So this story takes place in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. That's one of the biographies of Jesus the third one in the book, and uh, you can read it on your own if you like, but here's what happens. There's a couple in the story, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're an older couple who are very faithful to God. He's a priest in the temple, so that means that in a whole variety of ways, he helps make sure that the people stay in right relationship with God. That's his work. But the problem that they face is that they don't have any children. Elizabeth is barren. Today it's a little bit different, but in that time, children were understood to be a very specific sign of God's blessing on a family. And a woman's sense of purpose and identity, like what she was going to do with her life, was very deeply connected to her ability to bear and raise children. In fact, it's actually kind of helpful that Luke tells us in his gospel that they were faithful to God because otherwise people reading the story would read that she was barren and assume that God was punishing them for something by not giving her children. And you know, it's a little bit different, but even today there are lots of things, there are lots of things that women can do with their lives, lots of ways to find purpose, to make a difference, but there is something about being a mother, isn't there? That's what accounts for all of the feelings, the tender feelings that we have around Mother's Day. They're tremendous, both joyful and sorrowful. They're attached to parenthood and pregnancy and to whether or not we have children. Women still have a lot of identity wrapped up in being mothers. It's a 
deep, it's a deep part of our created self. And it's a good part of us. Well, Elizabeth, in our story today, she knew all of those feelings. I was trying to imagine the early days of her marriage to Zechariah. Full of anticipation and desire every month. Happily watching the young women around her who were pregnant, knowing that soon that was going to be her, be her turn. So much to look forward to, so much hope. And over the years that changes. Anticipation gives way to concern when you're not getting pregnant. And then that gives way to desperation and then eventually to shame. And she avoids them now in the market, all her pregnant friends, pretending not to see them, ducking around a corner. Because how do you continue to act glad when they're welcoming their fifth and eighth and twelfth child and you're still only setting two places at the table every night? And her prayers change, too. She begs God sometimes for the baby she doesn't have. And sometimes she's searching her past, desperately trying to find out what she did wrong. And sometimes bitterness overwhelms her and she can't pray at all. Years pass and somehow, you know, it changes again. Time wears away the sharp edges of grief. And as gray replaces color in her hair, the expectation lessens. No one else her age is having babies anymore. Diapers and tantrums and laundry aren't the main topics of conversation. They talk about grandchildren now, of course, and that still touches a tender place. But for the most part, it's simpler. And Elizabeth is softer about it. She's accepted her life. She loves her husband. She takes care of her home. It's familiar and comfortable. And she's found a gentle rhythm with God. He's answered so many other prayers. Well, at some point in their story, Zechariah's division is on duty serving in the temple, which is kind of like saying it's his dream team turn to be on duty. Right, So they're going to take care of all of the things that need to happen at the temple. And Zechariah is chosen to go and burn incense in the inner sanctuary. He's chosen by Lot, but it's still, that's an incredible honor. And she feels proud of him as he leaves. He'll be gone for a number of days, and she's looking forward to hearing about it when he comes back. Imagine what it would be like to be that close to the Lord. But when he does finally come home, he's surrounded by a crowd of people, and it's clear that something is wrong. And an old friend rushes forward to explain to her, he came out of the temple unable to speak, completely mute. And they've worked out through signs that he must have seen some kind of vision inside, but they can't tell what it was. They don't know anything, really. Over the next few days, it's kind of different in their home. She feels strangely protective of this quiet man. He keeps trying to tell her something, something about a baby. That much is clear, but she can't work out exactly what it is. And it's 
clear to her that he's very frustrated, but he's also happy. He's sweet and attentive to her. He's caring. They lay together, and he seems very emotional about that. And afterwards, he can't stop looking at her. There's tears in his eyes a lot, and he prays often. And then something happens. Or, more accurately, something doesn't happen. And in its place are all the signs the other women spoke of so often. And she waits for several weeks, keeping careful count, paying attention. An experienced midwife confirms it, though, against all the odds. At the most unexpected moment, Elizabeth, dear, sweet, old Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. When she tells Zechariah, he kneels down to touch her stomach. He smiles from ear to ear, looks up to the sky, Tears running down his cheeks. Elizabeth is in shock for a few days, but she finds herself moving through her chores with her hand on her stomach, smiling. And one morning, she turns to Zechariah in the kitchen, and she looks tall and proud. And her eyes gleam. The Lord has done this for me, she says. And he nods. In these days, He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Meanwhile, in a whole other part of the country, there is a very young girl, a relative of Elizabeth's, a distant cousin maybe, who's just getting ready to be married. She's engaged, and Joseph, her betrothed, is away probably for about a year back at his father's house, preparing a suite of rooms where they'll live after the wedding. And Mary is busy preparing, too. She's sewing a lot. She's even making a few tiny blankets and little smocks for the babies that she's already dreaming about. Well, she is by herself in the garden one afternoon when suddenly the sound fades and everything gets very bright. An angel is standing in front of her. An angel in her garden. She is something between frightened and overwhelmed. But he assures her that he brings good news. She has found favor with God. She has been chosen. The angel tells her she's going to become pregnant and bear a son. The child will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be given the throne of King David and rule over the house of Jacob forever. Well, she stares at this glowing figure before her, shakes her head slowly. A baby, she's so young. She's not married. She's never even, how will this be, she asks, since I am a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary, your child will be called the Son of God. No one else in all of history has ever experienced this. There's no way to imagine what she felt, how she knew she was with child, this child, this way. Who could possibly understand this? Who would believe her 
that God was doing something amazing rather than what everyone else was going to think. Elizabeth. The angel said Elizabeth was going to have a child. Elizabeth, who was barren, carrying a baby six months along, for nothing would be impossible with God. And so Mary gets ready, packs some things, and she goes to see the only other woman who might understand, might even celebrate what had happened. When she comes into Zechariah's house and says hello, Elizabeth wraps her arms around Mary. The baby inside her had leapt at the sound of Mary's voice. Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she suddenly knows that Mary is carrying the Savior. Blessed are you among women, she explains, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary stays for three months, long enough to see Elizabeth's baby be born, to hear him named John and to see Zechariah's speech miraculously return and hear him finally, all these months later, describe the vision in the temple. This baby would be a prophet of the Most High. He would prepare a way for the Lord and call the people back to him. Zechariah uses the familiar language of the prophet Isaiah in his prayer. He says, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is a great story. It's a familiar story, I know. Thanks for listening to it. But this morning, I want to point out how odd it is to have women and pregnant women at that at the center of this, the first story in Luke's gospel. Pregnancy has so much to do with hope. It really does. No matter what you're hoping for in your life, it comes into sharp focus when you're expecting a baby. Doesn't it? Hope for very tangible things like a big family and the sound of feet running around, about little ones snuggled in your laps reading stories. And then parents start to get into it. They're painting the nursery. They're buying diapers and clothes and toys. They're hoping. But there's hope for bigger things than that, too. Hope for permanence and endurance, to have someone to carry on your name, take over your business, or... Run your farm. Have your land. Hope to preserve your history and your future. Even as big as hope for humanity to continue, right? It's crazy what a baby represents when we're in a rough time. You know that feel. this is a bit of a break from my sermon, but you know that feeling of relief that washes over you in every post-apocalyptic or zombie film when, like, the first baby is born? Do you watch those? Maybe not. Anyway, you don't have to tell me. In post-apocalyptic films and zombie movies, when, like, when the world is ending and then the people who survive, there's always, like, a first baby who's born. And that's when you know it's going to be okay. 
Babies mean there's a future. In all the enormous ways and all the little ways, pregnancy is a symbol of hope. And Mary and Elizabeth carried that hope inside them. Imagine what those three months were like for them. The two women who were carrying the hope for God's people in their bodies. One of those babies is going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And the other baby is the prophet who's going to go ahead and prepare the way for him. That makes for a crazy conversation after postnatal class, right? Or prenatal class, Lama's class. Think about what they talked about. It's quite a bit later in the story that the author says something about Mary that always sticks with me. Mary, he said, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I love that concept, especially when we're thinking about hope and pregnancy, treasuring, gathering it all up and pondering it in your heart. Years ago when I was living in Kingston, a supervisor offered me a new job, which would be located in Halifax. Now, I was really excited about that job. It was a great job. And I had always wanted to live on the East Coast. And so I was over the moon about that invitation. The catch was that because of the nature of the role and the need to tell the proper people in the right order, I had to keep that invitation secret from October until July. Yeah, thank you. I I appreciate your sympathy. And if you know me at all, I mean, I can keep confidence. If you talk to me in my office, I won't tell anyone. I that's that's true. But when it's about my own life, I do not like keeping secrets. I like to talk about it. <laughs> and this was a huge thing. And I had to keep it to myself for 9 months. Isn't that funny? funny today. Who knew that was going to be a great sermon illustration? But in the end, it was the fact that it was nine months that, that got me through it. God used that to talk to me. I, he reminded me what Luke had said about Mary. And he talked to me about the ways and the, the image of a pregnancy, the way that parents sometimes choose to keep their news quiet for a long time. The way that they would be constantly aware of it, right? You just know all the time. It's the most forefront thing in your mind. This thing that is growing in you, that they're sharing with God, and they'd be dreaming about it and praying for it, all the while holding it secret. Well, hope can be like that, I think. It can be a small thing at first, something that God tells us or that we're invited to long for, a promise we hold on to. We don't have to talk about it a lot. But we hold it and we nourish it and we treasure it and we let it grow strong inside us. Like a pregnancy, growing an incredible new beginning. The world is pregnant with hope. This Advent season. Hope is growing and swelling 
and changing and lifting. Hope for who God is and what he's going to do as he comes. What are the hopes that are growing inside of you? We're going to get practical for a few minutes, and I want you to think about this question in two ways. First of all, what are your deep hopes that only God can meet? You know the ones that you really do keep to yourself. Maybe you used to share them with other people, but then, like Elizabeth, it became too painful, and now they're private. Hopes for healing, for partnership, for restoration of broken relationship, for children, for purpose, for healing in the world. I want you to consider making a list of those. It can still be private. You can make the list in your journal or the back of your Bible. Make a list and then talk to God about them over the course of Advent. Talk to him about those things several times, maybe even every day. And it's possible that your talking will feel like begging him. That's okay. You might be resigned or even cynical about this stuff. That's okay. He can handle that too. You might be mad at him. That's okay. You think Elizabeth didn't pray all those kinds of prayers? Of course she did. You might even find that you don't even have any feelings about it anymore. You don't even think about it that much. Then I invite you to sort of hold it out in front of God and say, I have this. I still have this. I've had this for a long time. And see what he says. It's going to feel vulnerable. Of course it is. But does God ever value and honor those deep hopes? And I don't mean to imply that he will give you everything you ask for. It's not always quick like that. But he is faithful And gentle with your hope. With you. The second way I'd like you to consider this question is to ask, what are your hopes for Christmas this year? Now, maybe it's just me, but I usually don't totally know what what I was hoping for at Christmas until those hopes explode all over me in a giant mess of disappointment and frustration and grief over unmet expectations. Is that just me? (laughs) Anyone else get to the end of Christmas and put your decorations away going, well, that was a bust. Maybe next year. (laughs) I want you to grab hold of that. Maybe next year what? What do you want at Christmas? What are you really hoping will happen this year? And I challenge you to make a list of those things. Is it spending quality time with friends you don't see very often? Is it being home in time to decorate the tree with your mom? Is it getting in a late night chat with your teenager? Reading a Christmas story with your kids or helping someone less fortunate? What do you really hope for? 
Make a list of those because I guarantee that in the frenzy and stress of this coming month, in all the hustle and bustle of doing Christmas, those important things will get lost. They get pushed aside because you've got time to hit one more store before it closes or you committed to that work party or you have to polish the silverware before company comes tomorrow. They get lost. But right now, it's only December 2nd. It's not too late yet. Make a list and get it up somewhere where you can see it and then make it happen. Choose how you spend Advent this year to make time and space for what matters to you. My prayer for you in this season is that this will be a time when hope grows in you. I pray that you will swell and expand as it takes shape in you, as it comes to life. And I pray that hope will enrich your soul and bring you closer to God, who is, even now, coming closer and closer to us. Would you stand with me and I'll pray for you? Jesus, we are so excited that you're coming. And at the start of this season, we are looking inside us. We're finding our deep hopes, the ones we've carried for a long time. And we offer those to you. We pray that you would let hope for all of the things that you want to do in the world grow inside us. We pray that you would make us people who trust you. People who hope in something far beyond presents or shopping or decorations. Even far beyond money and security. Who hope in you. Who hope in the Savior. At this point in the story, you're a tiny little baby growing inside your mother. And we are so grateful for who you are going to become. For all of the things that you do, that you have done, and for who you are. Would you bless us this Advent season with a deep and secure hope? We pray in your name. Amen.